you could get your Bibles open to James chapter 5, that's where I'd love for you to be this morning, James chapter 5. If you don't know where that is, just start from the back, you'll find it. Uh, before we get into it, I want to also just make a comment on the lock-in. Uh, it was an incredible time. I got to be there for a little bit. I uh, want to extend a lot of gratitude, ultimately, to Austin and Kat. Um, you guys did it. Yeah. Thank you for partnering and reaching our youth. Uh, I heard that I asked for the damage report, um, and uh, uh, there was a broken toe and a, someone's missing a tooth. Um, and they all signed forms. They all signed forms. <laughs> and I had one of those. <laughs> uh, Nico, you good? Yeah. It was, a, it was a tooth you were supposed to lose, right? Yeah. Yeah. My toe was not a toe that was supposed to be broken. Um, anyways. So we're in this series for this summer called One Another, and uh, we're going to be looking at weekly different commands that Scripture gives for one another, which is designed to be one another, how life is to be among the flock, what it's to look like as the local church for us to interact with one another. And, and last week, I kind of introed it just to remind us of what we're after 1 John 5, you don't have to turn there, I'm not going to have it up on the screen, just got to listen to my sultry voice. We're after something in this, right? So 1 John 5, 7 says that if we walk in the light as God is, just as he is in the light, we will have what with one another? Fellowship. Koinonia, community. We'll have the very thing that Jesus designed us to be, a community marked by the gospel. But not only that, and Jesus' blood will cleanse us from all sins, is what it says. There's something amazing that happens when we're community. There's a washing that happens among us as well. So last week, we started off with uh, what I argued is the foundational command to every one another command that we're going to look at this summer. And that was what? To what one another? To love one another. And what's crazy is that that very first command, love one another, it's got to be the foundation. It's got to be the culture. It's got to be the environment in which we head into this week's command. And I'll start it off this way. Uh, how many of y'all are big fans of uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Yeah, nobody is. Yes! I'm just kidding. Anybody? Kind of. Somebody's got a crush on him? Yeah. So he was in this movie that came out a few years ago called Hercules, right? It was a remake of the, of, of the old story, right? And, and in this movie, Hercules is known as this just renowned warrior, right? He's got this reputation among human beings that he's this battle-worn legend, and, and everybody should fear him, right? He, and, he, and he takes down whole armies with a swing of his sword or whatever he wields, that hammer thing, I think, was it was. All these different components of his reputation. In fact, one of the things he had that helped that was his nephew would follow him around and be a, a, a boaster. He would brag about Hercules. Oh, look at Hercules. He's done this. The mighty, ah, right? Uh, don't you think it'd be kind of nice to have someone do that for you? You'd go into the grocery store. And you go through the checkout line, and 
and you use some coupons, and then there's somebody there. Whoa! This is this is Scott. He just saved five dollars and sixteen cents using coupons. Well done, right? Like just somebody who just walks around. Like I actually, I would probably punch him in the face if they did that. Um, but ultimately, his nephew's just trying to build up a reputation, maintain it among humanity to get everyone to believe that Hercules is this mighty immortal demigod who's graced mankind with his presence. The thing is, though, as you're watching the movie, you realize that that reputation is a bit bloated. He's not just a single-man army. He actually has his own private force that follows him around and fights battles with him, but it's his name that gets left in the legend. So really, his reputation is crazy exaggerated. But there's this scene in this movie that really stuck out to me. Uh, Hercules is, is training this army on fighting and how to, how to conquer, and, and they fall into this trap, right? They fall into this trap, a battle begins, and Hercules gets wounded, and he starts to bleed out of his shoulder. And his nephew, the, the, the jester, the, the boaster, he runs up to Hercules, he takes his jacket or his cloak, and he covers his shoulder and says, he says, cover up before your loyal army sees that you bleed like a mortal. If you knew the movie, if you know the movie, you know why that's so important, right? Because if, if anyone saw that Hercules could bleed, then his reputation would just be lost. Like he would be marked as a fraud, probably canceled. So the instruction for Hercules' life was never let them see you bleed. Never let them know you have weaknesses. Don't let them know that you're actually weaker than you're telling them you are. And what they're believing. Brothers and sisters, I just got to ask you, uh, don't you feel the same way about your own sin? Especially among the flock. We instinctually, when we mess up, we instinctually come up and, and cover over those areas that, that prove we're really just like everyone else here. That show that we still have something wrong with us. That's our instinct. So, so, so we, we don't actually hear it, because I've never preached this, but we seem to have in our culture, in our church, don't let anybody see that you bleed. Don't let them see your sin. We keep hearing that over. Cover it up. Oh, oh, don't let anyone know it. And why is it among us? Well, it's because that's the first thing that happens to humanity when we first sin. When our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, ate of the fruit, what did they immediately do before they started blame shifting, which we do that too? They covered it up. They covered themselves. They covered their shame. What was now exposed, they concealed. Don't let them see your sin. It's kind of like our default mentality in the church, is it not? Why? Well, I think the simplest answer, and probably the most popular answer, is the same reason for Hercules, that he wouldn't let anybody else see him bleed. It was because we're afraid that they'll think less of us. We're afraid that if we actually say, man, I struggled with this last night. 
somebody else is going to be like, oh. Take you down a few notches in my mind. So don't let them see your sin. If, if, if you do, they're going to judge you. If you do, they'll think less of you. If you do, you'll lose your reputation that you've worked really hard to build and maintain and try to preserve among us. They'll think you're a fraud. They'll think you should be rejected. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you today that as we're going to take another step in this way of light, it's going to be a, a step that is probably uncomfortable for every single one of us. As we look at this next one another command, we're going to find a command that's going to make all of us shiver. It's a command that tells us not to hide our sin. It's a command that tells us to, to drag our sin, kicking and screaming, out of the dark so we, that we so desperately try to hide it in. And we should drag it out into light to let other people know about it. And, and this is the command. Confess to one another. Can you say that? Yes. Now, if, if you're any kind of Christian for a certain period of time and you're kind of familiar with some of the cultures and other denominations, you, you knew this was somewhere in the Bible, but you weren't exactly like trying to look for it. You know, those, those Catholics do this with those priests but you can already feel how heavy this is. You're, I mean, some of you, your head just went like from this. You're like, this is hard. This is burdensome, where it feels. And my, my hope for this morning, my hope for our time together as we're in God's word here, is that this command, which we'll get to in the text, you'll see that I'm not just making something up. That this command, though it may feel like a burden, that, that, that we, we, none of us leaves here today feeling burdened by this command because we're simply believing this reality, that confession of sin is not a burden, but it's a grace. It is a grace. Guys, we heard at the end of 1 John 5, it says that God's commands are not burdensome. They're not designed to be a heavy yoke. They are a means of God working in and through your life for His glory and your ultimate good and joy. This is on the pathway of His love for us and transforming us. And so confession is not a burden, it is a grace. And so as we get into our text, we're going to explore some of the context as we go. But on the front end, let me just kind of tell you what's happening. James is writing... And he's talking about the place and the power of prayer in the people of God. And it's an incredible story. It's an incredible image that he puts here. But, but we're, we're going to start reading in verse 15. So James 5, verse 15. It says, The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Here's our main one. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. This is the word of the Lord. Obviously, there are technically two one another commands in this passage, right? Confess to one another, pray for one another. We'll focus on the first one so we can get context for the second one. 
The first is confess your sins to one another. Guys, this is the only time in Scripture this command appears. Now, you might argue, Scott, then doesn't that mean you're giving it too much emphasis? I'd say every word of God matters. So we're not going to go lightly or tread lightly here just because it appears once. The, the word confess here, in the verb form, appears several times throughout the New Testament, but here it's commanded of us, and it means basically to agree with. At a minimum, agree with from the heart. Now, now the New Testament refers to this sort of verbal acknowledgement in two main ways, in two main ways. The first is a confession of faith, a confession of faith in God's goodness and greatness. So, for example, you can see it in Romans 10, 9. It says, confess with your mouth that what? Jesus is Lord. That confession is supposed to come from a heartfelt conviction that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So verbal confession of God's greatness, that's one way we see confession in Scripture. But here's a second way, and it's confession of our own sins. In other words, we're acknowledging verbally a heartfelt conviction. So obviously here we're dealing with the second kind of confession, the confession of sin. And let me, let me first then say what this is not. What confession of sin is not. What James is not getting at here. Because I think we get this confused. First, confession of sin is not the same thing as sharing your suffering. It's not about sharing what trials you're currently going through. That's not confession of sin. The confession of sin is confessing the evil that we've done, not the evil that's been done to us. Also, this isn't confess another's sin. You, you, you know what I mean, right? You go and tell this person, that person did this to me. Right? That's not what James is after here either. You're not confessing another sin. You're confessing your sin to another. Ha! Let me also tell you what this isn't. This isn't just a broad, general confession. Well, I sin. I kind of mess up every now and then. That's a good thing to actually know about yourself. But this isn't what he's getting at here. Uh, if you can, just a quick argument for that. Look at the word. He says... Uh, confess your sin or sins. Yeah, I was hoping some of you would be sins. Pronounce that S at the end of it. Which makes it what? Singular or plural? Plural. Confess your many sins. So in general, if you're going to try to go deep into this command, here's what we're after here this morning. To confess to one another means that you're verbally agreeing with specificity the plurality and severity of your sins. You're getting specific with it. Not about the details of how it came about, but willingness to at least name it and name them and how they've affected you. This is kind of the opposite of what we typically do with our sins, isn't it? Right? Typically, we, we don't confess and admit. Our first instinct is to do what with our sin? It's to justify. To justify it. We justify our sins. This is what Charles Finney said about it. It seems to be a law of man's intelligent nature that when accused of wrong, either by his own conscience or by another agent, he must either confess or 
justify. So, so, I mean, just kind of admit it. Like, take a look, take a second to look back on your own life. When, when someone approaches you and confronts you, maybe it's your spouse, a friend, a coworker, whatever, and they confront you about wrong that you're doing or have done, and, and, or even if you're just kind of sitting there and nobody's outside of you talking to you about this, but you just feel the weight of your own sin and you're starting to, to, to feel the wrong that you've done, what's your first instinct? Do you confess and admit, man, that's wrong? Or is your first instinct to be like, well, this person made me do it, and, and that's why I did it, and, and, and here's the circumstances I was in, and, and of course, I guess that would make sense for me to struggle with that at that time. Are you prone to confess it was wrong, or do you justify it, even if it was a mistake? Even your mistakes, do you try to find ways to testify, or like justify it? Here's an even harder question. Are you now in your head justifying why you justify your sin? <laughs> Guys, I, I used to do this a lot. I used to, to justify my sin a lot, and in, in, in many ways still do. Uh, I, I, how many of you just thank God that you are now who you weren't? Let me rephrase this. How many of you thank God that you are not now who you were once? Yeah. God is changing us, is he not? Now, I still have a lot to grow in, tons of growth needed, Uh, but let me tell you a story. Uh, After my freshman year of college, uh, I at that time had changed my major to missions and started getting introduced to missions trips, or I'd been on many missions trips, but getting getting acquainted with good theology about missions. And, And so that summer, I went away on a mission trip to help a church plant in the city of Denver, um, down in the Five Points area. And the whole time on this trip, we had team leaders, and I was a youth leader at the trip. The whole time I was there, I was just being this prideful little punk, straight moronic. And, and, and I wasn't submitting to the trip leaders. I was, I was second-guessing their decisions to their faces. I was then going behind them to our teammates and to other youth that I was supposed to be setting an example for and talking poorly about our youth leaders or our our team leaders. Honestly, like, if I had been in the team leader's shoes, back home, boy! They had every reason to send me home. But two of the, the male team leaders, one of them was a guy named Dwayne Tester. Uh, from what I could tell at the time, just a really godly guy, godly youth leader. They just sat me down in the, in the hotel lobby uh, one night into the trip. And, and they just, they put up with it way too long. And, 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 and they just gently kind of called out my sin, uh, my, my lack of submitting to my elders, my, my disrespect of my leaders, uh, just arrogance and pride, uh, gossip, and they didn't just name it. They kind of just pointed to the things that I was doing that pointed to those sins. And you want to know what I started doing? I justified all of it. I wanted them to know that they were wrong for calling me out. I said, I'm the missions major at Liberty, and I know how to do short mission trips, and blah, 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 blah. But thankfully, God's grace through their patience and persistence began to break down my pride. 
in all my blindness uh, through just their really gentle correction. And, and I began to just feel the weight of how wrong I was. And, and instead of continuing in justifying all the wrong I was doing, I finally got to the point where I realized how terrible I was being. And, I'm really, and I said, I'm really in sin here. I, I need you to forgive me. And, and there was this transformation that happened. It was, it was an amazing rest of the trip. I was a better boy. <laughs> but to justify sin, guys, I, I, I still find myself doing it, like even with my own kids. Like I don't want to take blame for things that I know I could blame them for. And it's, it's, it's disgusting. Where we want to justify our sins, Jesus wants us to admit them. He wants us to confess them. In fact, Scripture tells us, just in broad general terms, that, that we're to have two directions for our confession. One is vertically and the other is horizontally. We confess and we pray. As we pray, we confess our sins and admit them to God Himself vertically, our failures and our sins this is something Jesus taught us to do in his prayer, right? Forgive us our trespasses, right? The Bible is full of examples of vertical confession of sin. Psalm 32, King David wrote this psalm and he's talking about how, how he refused to admit his own sin. He kept silent about them. And then, and then he talks about how miserable he became, how brittle his bones became. He felt the heavy weight of God's hand, his strength was drained from him because he kept them in. And then this is what happens in verse 5 of Psalm 32. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what happened? You forgave the guilt of my sin. You can see additional confession throughout Scripture, like when in Psalm 51, David had just murdered uh, Uriah, taken Bathsheba, impregnated her. Like, it was ridiculous, the sin. And Psalm 51 is, is his confession of his sin to the Lord. So we're to confess vertically. And, and, and I just want to say to you, isn't that the easy way? Isn't that the easy direction for confession? We confess vertically, and it's easier. I mean, if James had just kind of done a good, easy thing here and said, confess your sins to God, I think we'd be so much more comfortable this morning, right? But no, James had to add two words to this command that make us shiver like we're hearing chalk nails or nails on a chalkboard. No, confess your sins to one another. Come on, James. Why do we feel that? Well, have you ever noticed that it's easier to confess your sins to God than it is to someone else? And by the way, it's not supposed to be that way. Guys, confessing your sin to God for some of us, is the emotional equivalent of talking through your grocery shopping list. Confessing your sins to someone else 
is the emotional equivalent of walking into the grocery store and realizing that halfway through your shopping routine, you left your pants at home. <laughs> you, in sharing with one another your sins, you feel completely exposed. You're totally embarrassed and ashamed and you feel foolish. There's this quote that I came across from a guy named Hildebert of Levarden. He said this, how come we conceal from others that which we're comfortable doing in God's sight? Think about that. Why is it so easy for us to conceal sins from one another that we're so easily able to do in the presence of a holy God? Well, because our fear is misplaced. Our fear is misplaced, and so we conceal or we justify instead of confess our sins. We refuse to confess because it feels burdensome, it feels heavy, it feels raw, it feels like we're being exposed. And yet, confessions of sin, both vertically and horizontally, are a means of grace that God uses to change who you are. Why? Well, I mean, what, what, what makes confessing our sins to one another in the flock not a burden but a grace? Well, I, I think here we can see three reasons. Why is confessing sin to one another such a good grace? And the first one I see is this, that confession affirms and applies the gospel. Can you say that right now? So look back in verse 15, right? The prayer of faith will save the sick person. The Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James says that when we pray in faith, not only will it heal sick people, but in an even more incredible and impossible act, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So our confession of sin to one another is, is rooted in the promise that our sins are forgiven in Jesus alone. So our confession of sins to one another is, is found in that forgiveness. It's rooted there. It's the exact same thing that they did throughout the whole New Testament church, especially before even like Jesus started doing his ministry. John the Baptist is there, Matthew 3. He's baptizing people. Scripture says in Matthew 3, verse 6, it says that people who came to get baptized came confessing their sins. In Acts 19, when the kingdom of God invades the city of Ephesus, this is what happens. Look at this. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. Oh, God, that that would happen. Why is there such freedom there? Why is there no guilt or shame? I mean, if somebody walked in and you could tell that they had been practicing magic, my goodness, we'd be like, ah! No, this is, they're out in the open. They're freely 
tossing their magic books on fires and burning them. They're coming and saying, hey, here's, here's what I've done. Here's my sin. Why such freedom? Why such joy and putting it all out there? Well, I found this, found this quote from Trillia Nubel. She said this, when we confess, we are confessing forgiven sin. We're confessing forgiven sin. So, so, so when we confess our sins, we're affirming that our sins are forgiven and we're applying the good news that we are forgiven, that we stand forgiven, that we're freed from our guilt and shame, which means that God isn't holding them against you anymore. They don't come up in the, in the relationship anymore. Christ has cast them as far as the east is from the west. God doesn't hold your sin against you anymore if you're in Christ. And if he doesn't, then why on earth should we? Why, as the people of God who look at him and say, man, he does things more excellent than any of us. His ways are higher than ours. He doesn't hold my sin against me. Ah, oh, but I'm going to hold my sin against their sin against me. It doesn't make sense. There is something that we are to hold against one another. There is something that's supposed to stay in the middle of the relationship that keeps us from fellowship. You know what that is? Unrepentance. Not sin. An unwillingness to acknowledge what sin is and to turn from it. That's what keeps us from fellowship. But not when we confess our sins to one another. I mean, I mean what this does, if, if we're really able to allow the gospel to infiltrate our, our mindsets about how we relate to one another, and we're willing to confess our sin, you know what that does? This, this, it, what it does is it makes this to be the safest place on earth where we can actually truly say to one another, it's okay to not be okay. Let me help you to not stay there. This really can be that. And trust me, when, when, when you finally come to grips with uh, this principle that, that we're to... We're to, sorry, I went ahead, that we're to confess to one another. Just let me go ahead and let you know something. There's a little secret that I want to tune you into. You ready? We already know that you're broken. We already know that you have sin. This kind of already outed you. It's already told us, yeah, there's nobody who's perfect. Everyone falls short. So, so if you thought that we thought you were perfect, man, you, you, gotta, you, you, gotta, you gotta knock yourself down just a little bit. Because we know you're not. But do you know that it's, it's really okay to not be okay among this flock? among this people. And when you finally come out and like say, yeah, I've, I've, I've got this, 
in, in the closet, the skeleton in, in my past, or I've got, I've got this happening in my heart too routinely and I hate it. We're not going to be surprised. In fact, some of us will be able to say, hey, me too. I didn't know I was alone. We'll simply say, welcome to the club. About time you got here. And then when that actually happens, when we confess sin that is already forgiven on the cross of Jesus Christ, then, then what we'll get to do is what comes next in the text. Is that confession will also allow us as a family to pray for one another. Look at what he says in verse 16 again. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. A major reason for confessing sins to one another is so that others in our church family can pray in strong faith that God desires to sanctify you, that he wants to actually make you more like his son. And we can pray with you, which is the most powerful transforming thing that we can do, that you'd be set free from habitual sins and that your, your sting, your sensitivity to sin sting would be renewed. As, uh, I, I, how on earth can we as a family, as a body of Christ, use our divine walkie-talkies to headquarters to ask for spiritual firepower to fall down on the enemy bunkers in your life if we don't know where they are or what they hold. It's confession, a willingness to open up and just say, yeah, this is, this is me. It allows the church to be the church. It allows for us to actually have fellowship, community, not fake superficiality. And then there's this third thing that we see, is that there's this connection, this pathway, where confession of sin is a part on the pathway to freedom from it. Not that we're sanctified by our works, but this is a means of grace in our life. Like, so, so what does confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another lead to? Look in verse 16. What, what do the two go together for? Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? So that you may be what? Oh, Lord. This is the best part. Why do we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another? So that we may be what? Healed. We would be healed. Guys, we often think of the word healing as in terms of physical ailments like cancer, disease, virus, sicknesses, all those different things. But scripture refers to healing here in terms of sin. Look at, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been what? Healed. It's up on the screen. You can't miss that one. You, you have been healed by his wounds. And, and healed here is not talking about the, the scrape on your elbow or the very serious cancer that you've been diagnosed with. Ultimately, it's talking about your captivity and the disease of sin. Guys, I got I to gotta be honest with you, and, and I don't mean this in a negative, like, critical way. 
We have a, a prayer team here, a prayer partner team. Praise God for you guys. You are holding the line spiritually. I see prayer requests through, come through all the time. Prayers for healing from diseases, prayer for cancer, prayer for surgery, prayer for a lot of physical healing. I have never seen our prayer team utilized for praying for a brother or sister to be freed from certain sin habits. Never seen that prayer request come across. When you and I confess our sins to one another and we pray for one another, it's like we are, we are taking the blood of Jesus as salve to our own wounds. And there we're going to find, we're going to find freedom. We're going to find transformation. We're going to find freedom from criticizing our spouses or seeking to undermine them. We're going to find freedom from addictions to pornography and lust-driven relationships. We're going to find on that pathway, on this walking in the light, freedom from gossip and slander, from doubt and unbelief, from hatred, from idolatry, from pride as we're willing to call them out and admit they're wrong. Guys, these are just some of the reasons why confessing our sins to one another is just such a grace and not a burden. So I just want to check in with you. How, how are you receiving this? How's it tasting? Is it still seeming more like a, uh, a burden than a grace? If it is, then I think there's some area for growth and truth in your heart. I think one big final question that we need to ask, that needs to be addressed, is what does this look like with one another? If we're, if we're actually going to have this as, as part of our culture, as part of who we are as a body, what, what is it going to look like? Well, let me just say again what it's, what it's not. Uh, it, it's not that, like, for example, let's say we find we're, we're here, we're getting ready to go into our service on Sunday morning, and there's some, some new person walks in. They look friendly. And you walk up to them and you say, hey, my name's Scott. I'm the pastor here. I'm really glad you're here. Last night, I freaked out on my wife, yelled at her, and my kids saw it, and I got really angry at them. What's your name? I, I really don't think that's what James had in mind. I also don't think that uh, dumping all of it on social media is what he had in mind either. In fact, it wasn't invented then. So, I believe that it is a great and wonderful thing for every believer to have at least one close brother or sister in Christ where you do life together, where, where you share your prayer requests that have no limits of how deep they can go or how personal they can get, where you trust each other, where there's confidentiality in those relationships such that when you confess that you lusted or you lied or you cheated, you know that you're going to be met with Grace and forgiveness and encouragement, not to excuse away the sin, but to remind you of and freshly apply the gospel.
I mean, the truth is, I, I personally have experienced some of the greatest movements of freedom in my, in my hate relationship with sin as I've regularly met with a brother in Christ who often was like a mentor and I just kind of had no, no, no space in my life that was off limits. Where I was willing to say, oh, you want to ask about that? Yeah, here's the truth. Here's what's going on in my heart. Here's how I'm struggling. And these, these guys have just gently said gospel truths again and again that create the environment of the gospel that the church is supposed to be. In fact, I would say that, that this passage, confess your sins to one another, was the basis for the rule of small meetings in the 18th century Methodist movement. So when John Wesley and his brothers, they started doing their thing, this was at the foundation for when they gathered together. They would ask each other really intense questions about their relationship to sin for the past week. In fact, Wesley's questions are a thing. Like, he's got his questions, and they're out there in the world. In fact, uh, I don't have, oh, I do, ha! They are on our disciple bands cards. For those of you who don't know, a disciple band is a thing within our life groups where two or three are working through, looking back on their last week, asking each other the really tough questions, looking into God's word, asking questions of observations about what it says, and then committing to look ahead and pray for one another, pray for people. These are free for you. They should be out on the cart out there. Uh, feel free to take one and then go find somebody that you're willing to ask these questions. Well, no, you want them to ask you these questions. <laughs> so that's part of disciple bands. That's part of what we're trying to do here is create that environment. But I also see that there should be times, especially in our life groups, when, when the Bible convicts us as we're studying it or, or there's something convicting us in our lives and we share it with that group in the hopes of healing and encouragement and possibility that others might too also confess their sin. I, I've seen it in our life group, right? Sunday night, woo! Nobody, okay, I guess I'm the only one passionate about it. I like it. <laughs> and when, when that happened, as raw as it was, it was powerful, it was real. And not only that, do we see it in small one-on-one -on -one relationships and, and in maybe some life groups, but in the event a sin becomes so public that it affects so many people in the body, one of the most beautiful displays of the gospel is when a person comes before the body and confesses his sin is wrong. Why? Because we, as we firmly believe, we're all ministers of the gospel. We're all equipped to, to use the word of God to edify one another. And walk with one another into freedom, into healing. And so that's why the power and the grace of confession is freely available to you. When you're willing to confess to one another. So the challenge for you is are you actually willing to let other people see you bleed? Are you willing to let others see that, that you don't get it right every time? And you're willing to, to admit it, to name it? Do you f really feel the freedom that you don't have to cover it up because Christ's blood has covered it? 
But you don't have to justify it because God in Christ justified you. Willing to open up, let other people in. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Why not start today? Every week we have this prayer team that comes up willing to pray for encouragement, pray for healing. What a great time for you if you feel the need, the weight of something you've done this week, uh, a, a bitterness that you've harbored. What a great time to come freely and confess your sin to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And so at at the end of this service, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray real quick and then Benedict, but our prayer team's going to be up here. And if you're wanting a safe place where the gospel's just going to be applied to your life, then come forward and, and receive prayer. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I, I do thank you that every time that we talk about our failures, every time we talk about as believers, how we blew up on this person or, or we harbored bitterness towards this person or we envied this person or, or that coveted that thing when we were dishonest, that no matter what sin we confess, every one of them have been nailed to the cross the guilt canceled and cast away from us. And God, in our relationship with you, that is where we find true freedom. I pray for our relationship with one another as a flock, as a family, that this would really be the safest place for us to be willing to admit that we're not okay that we're messing up. And I pray that you would equip each of us to be ready with the good news of, gospel, of free grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be able to apply it, to, to use it as a balm and a wound so that others might be built up and encouraged and refreshed again in the gospel. I pray that that would be the culture among us as a flock. We love you. We thank you that we're safe in Christ. But that sin is not, and it is getting rooted out of us more and more each day. And may that be the case for our flock, for our family here, as we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we may be healed. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys would stand. Love to pray a prayer of benediction over you. But as you're standing, I want to remind you that we have some refreshments out in the lobby. Would love for you to hang around a little bit and get to check in with people and get to know some people you don't know. Again, if you need prayer, uh, if you are willing to even go, be so bold as to admit some things that are going on in your life, the prayer team will be up here.
I want to pray a benedictory prayer from Jude. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Christ Jesus our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have an incredible week.